We're going to get there eventually. Um, but there'll be lots of scripture coming between now and then, and it'll be up on the screen for you just so you, you don't have to madly flip through. But let me just tell you where we have been and where we are so that if you have been away or if you're visiting this morning that you have a good context uh, of what we've been dealing with. So all through July, we've been working on this concept of prayer. What is prayer? What does it mean to talk to God? Does, does God talk back to us? Does he give us clear uh, instruction? And, and what I've been focusing on is, is from a book uh, written by Donald Whitney called Praying the Bible. And it's the reminder that Really, there's two main reasons why people struggle with prayer. And when I say people struggle with prayer, I mean almost all of us struggle with prayer. One of the reasons is because we're not really sure what to say or what to ask. And the other thing is because our mind is not focused and tends to wander. And so we tend to pray for the same old things in the same old ways. And prayers get shorter and less meaningful. Not that... Not that just if they're long, they're meaningful, but sometimes they're just like we have a routine. We have a, we have a little prayer that we say every day and we don't really consider those things anymore. And so what we've been doing is going through passages of Scripture, praying through those passages, reminding us that these are God's words written to us. And so if we want to know what God's will for our lives is, we just have to read Scripture because he lays out to us what we should do, how we should live, who we are to be. Now, maybe the very specifics of those things aren't laid out for us, but as we consider them through the lens of Scripture, I believe that they'll become more clear. And so we began with an overall view of prayer, and we looked at the Lord's Prayer as kind of a loose template that we can follow. And then we've been looking through an acronym, ACTS, A-C-T-S. And and so we talked about adoration prayer, that when we begin prayer, we should go first to remind ourselves of the beauty and the wonder of God. That as we put our hearts and our focus towards all that he is, his characteristics, his love, his grace, his mercy, his kindness, his justice, all these things that as we consider those things, we're going to then be able to go in prayer in the other areas far more aware of who God is and our hearts will be far more humble. We'll be far more careful about the words that we use. Then two weeks, yeah, last week, sorry, we looked at confession prayer. And how confession should be a normative part of our our church experience. That that we should gather together and we should confess our sins one to another, as it says in James, so that we would be healed. So that our prayers would become powerful and effective. But as we talked about last week, is we generally don't want to confess to others. We don't want to let people in to see the darkest parts of our hearts. And the funny thing is, is that God already sees all of that and knows all of that. And so for us to invite others into that, we're inviting accountability, we're inviting community, we're inviting growth to happen that can only happen when others are part of that journey. And I'm really excited for next week, we're going to have four new uh, members join the church and and an undeterminate amount of people will be baptized. There's still some kind of deciding, no pressure, no pressure. But it's super exciting because as I, uh, Randy and I got to sit down and talk with many of these folks is this idea of you're not a, a sole, alone Christian. You're a Christian part of a community. You're a Christian part of a family, and that family wants what is best for you, and what is best for you is your spiritual growth and maturity in Christ. 
And so we need friends bold enough and courageous enough to come alongside of us and correct and rebuke and exhort us as we looked at last week. And I hope that as we consider these things moving forward, that they do become more normative in our lives, that we become more vulnerable, that we become more willing to share the things that we need to deal with in our hearts and ask others to help pray for us because it's not just about me sucking it up and trying harder. It's about me relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. And when other people are praying for me in that, I know that God is at work. This morning, we're going to look at thanksgiving prayer, and the next week, we're going to f- finish our series with supplication prayer. And that's probably the part that we do most. We pray for others. Now, often, I think we're praying for ourselves, too, and we'll talk about that difference uh, tomorrow morning. Sorry, not tomorrow. You don't have to come tomorrow. Next week. That's when we'll talk about it. But thanksgiving prayers. Now this is, actually before we even say this, I want to share something that happened this last week which is really exciting to me. Uh, During my last seminary class, God just impressed on my heart the importance of prayer in our church, both corporately and individually, in our small groups, whatever it might be. And and elevating that into a a higher level of importance. And so we've been doing... uh, We've been incorporating ways to accomplish that over the last few Sundays, and and at our board retreat, we're going to talk about doing that further. But this week, one thing was really, really neat is our men's group, we're, how do I say this nicely? We're old, and so we still meet by Zoom because apparently people like that. Uh, So we gathered together uh, over the computer, and so I have all these people on my screen, and at the end of our study together, uh, we always pray for one another, and I asked what what prayer requests there are. And for the first time in the f- almost five years that we've been here, every single person shared some issue going on in their lives that they required prayer for. There was an openness and a transparency, a, a vulnerability to say, I need help in this. And as I prayed, I was able to pray for every single person on the screen by name with a specific request. And I thought that was indicative of a group of people that are going, we want to become a church of prayer. And so that was so encouraging to me, and I hope that as we continue with that, we'll learn to do that more. So, Thanksgiving prayer. I want to read to you a whole bunch of scripture passages, all from the book of Psalms here. And and actually, like I said, we're going to read from Ephesians. That's going to be our main text. But as we consider uh, the Psalms, the Psalms are really considered the prayer book of the Hebrew people. And so when we read through the Psalms, there's many different aspects of prayer, but I want to show you, and this is just a very small selection from one book in the Bible of Thanksgiving prayer, but I want to read these to you and and just for you to consider the different aspects of thanks that are being given. So Psalm 717 says this, I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord the Most High. Chapter 9, verse 1, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount of all your wonderful deeds. 28, verse 7, the Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exalts and with my song I give thanks to him. If you ever wonder why we sing in church, there's many psalms that are actual songs of praise. 30 verse 4, sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. 57 9, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. 75 1, we give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your name is near. 
we recount your wondrous deeds. 86.12, I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart and will glorify your name forever. 92, 1 and 2, which Randy already read for us this morning. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. 100, verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. 107, verse 1, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. 108, verse 3, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. 111, verse 1, praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. 118, verse 28, you are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God. I will extol you. And finally, 138, verse 2, I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Now again, this is not exhaustive by any means, but it gives us just a picture of how often in just one book of the Bible, the psalmist cries out in thankfulness to God. Now if you read those psalms, Many of them deal with all kinds of other issues as well. They're not only giving thanks. They're calling out for God's intervention. They're calling out for justice. They're calling out for help in various ways. There's confusion. There's hurt. There's lament. And yet in the midst of all of that is thanksgiving. Did you notice, though, that in the praise, uh, sorry, in the thanks of God in these things, there's two kind of main themes. Is, is one, they were thanking God for the things that he has done, but the other is they're thanking God for who he is. Do we approach God and thank God in prayer for who he is? Now, we talked about this when we talked about adoration, and so adoration and thanksgiving, sometimes the lines get a little bit blurry here, but that's okay. Is the point is simply this, as we begin with adoration, confession, and thanksgiving, as I said last week, we remind our hearts and our emotions of what is true, because when we go through dark times, when we go through difficulties and hurt and pain, our, our minds often shut off, and our heart goes, I don't feel like these things are true. Well, the only way to deal with that then is to remind yourself that they are true. And so even when we're in difficulty to thank God for all that we have. Er Ernie, who often does announcements for us, he he sometimes, he says it uh, a little more directly than I would say things, Uh, but he says, you know, we're very simple people, and we can't be upset and happy at the same time very easily, and so if we can remind ourselves of all the things we have to be thankful for God, then our scope will widen, our perspective will change, and the current circumstances that we face will be appropriate. Now, you've heard me say this lots, and I I need to be clear about this, is the point is not to go ignore all your hurt, ignore the difficulties, and just give thanks to God, and your difficulties will go away. That's just not true, and nor is it scriptural. But if you're anything like me, is 90% of your life can be going real good, but the 10% of your life that's fallen apart is the only 10% that you think about. So we start to think that's all that there is. And what we need to do is 
thank God for what he has given us rather than the things that he hasn't so that what he hasn't given us has the appropriate amount of perspective in our life and it doesn't consume us. This can be very difficult for many of us and probably all of us. And so as I was kind of preparing for this, I thought, hey, I'm going to do this little exercise and I'm just going to write down and like the, the things that are at the top of my mind. What can I be thankful for in the midst of difficulties? So here's the few things that I wrote down and, and you can add to this list on your own and you could probably, maybe, maybe even at lunch with your family is to go through a list of your own. So here's what I am thankful for. I am thankful for a wonderful wife, an amazing son, an incredible church family, a great home to live in, by the way, which I never have to do anything because Randy always fixes everything. (laughs) The beauty that is all around me when I walk out my door, food that's in my pantry and my fridge, even if it is gluten-free, unfortunately. A bike that I can jump on and go and experience nature and realize how out of shape I am. Friends who love me, parents who pray for me every single day, technology to connect with those family and those friends all over the world, clothes to wear, clean water to drink. You could keep going and you can keep going and keep going. There are so many things that when I wake up and even waking up and taking a breath is a gift of God's mercy. When I remind myself of all of those good things, it doesn't make the hurt go away, but it does give it its proper perspective. It's God, there's hurt and there's pain and there's difficulty and uncertainty, but there's also goodness. There's also great things that not only should I be thankful for, that I probably take for granted. This last week, uh, our, how many of you have uh, like a water dispenser in your fridge? Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> You're all smarter than us then, I guess. Ernie told me a while ago, that thing's going to break for sure. And uh, he was right. And there's a little flood in my kitchen. Sorry, Randy, I didn't tell you that. We wiped it all up. It's all good. And Ernie said, just turn that off. It doesn't need to be on. Get your water from the sink like a normal person. Uh, he said it much more directly than that, yeah, but you know. And, uh, and so how many times this week was I like, walk by the fridge, put my cup to the fridge, no water. My life is over. I have to walk 10 steps to the sink and the water is not as cold and my life is so hard. And I wish that was an exaggeration. But that's where, your mind, that's where my mind often goes. It's just these little things. Like I have clean water at my disposal right close to me. When if you look at the percentages and the numbers, the majority of the world does not have that kind of access. Again, that doesn't lessen my other problems, but it should make me more grateful for the things that I do have. In the New Testament, in Paul's writings, he kind of follows, generally speaking, he follows a a format. And the second thing in that format is prayer and thanksgiving. And so I want to read to you just a couple of quick ones before we get to Ephesians. In 1 Corinthians 1 verse 4, Paul says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. In Colossians 1.3, we read, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 2, We give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers. One of the biggest prayers is found in Ephesians chapter 1. 
And while this is a letter written to the church in Ephesus, uh, this large section, it's, it's like as Paul's beginning to write this letter uh, to the folks in Ephesus, he just kind of has this moment of overwhelming gratitude for who God is, and he just kind of starts writing. And it's this beautiful prayer, and it's, it's quite a, a long prayer. And we're going to look at, at a little bit of that prayer this morning to try and give us a proper perspective on how to, how to have Thanksgiving prayer in the midst of difficulty. Now, just for a little bit of context, because this is helpful for us, is do you, know, do you know where and when Paul is writing this letter from? He's in prison in Rome. Ultimately, he knows that his, his end is coming very near for the proclamation of Jesus. What you would expect to see, at least what I would expect to see, is pray for me. I'm in prison. And he does say in the very end, chapter 6, verse 19, he does ask for prayer, but notice this. He says, I pray that words may be given to me when I open my mouth to proclaim the gospel. He doesn't pray, could you, could you free, like pray that God releases me from prison? Because for Paul, his, his circumstance was irrelevant because his mission was his purpose. Well, Jesus has given us the same mission. What does it say in Matthew 28? Go, make disciples. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son. And surely I'm with you always to the very end. Is That's the commission that you and I have been given. That's what should take up the biggest piece of our heart but how easily we get distracted by the things of the world. So much so that when I read the context and go, Paul's in prison in Ephesus, and I'm kind of thinking, man, like if I was there, what would I be asking for for prayer? It probably would not be that when my mouth is open that people would hear the gospel, if I'm really honest. And yet, what, what better thing could I ask for? What more important thing could I ask for? Are we fighting and saying, I want justice, I want to be freed from here? Or are we considering more so that those imprisoning Paul, the jailers, those persecuting, those who are opposing you, is your first prayer for those who are opposing you their salvation? Or is it your deliverance? Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for deliverance. We'll talk about that next week. But again, I think there should be an order of how we deal with these things because what's inside of our hearts becomes clear in how we pray. And if our prayer is entirely, God, would you help me? Would you guide me? Would you bring, if it's very egocentric, then we have a humility problem that we need to deal with. And so here, Paul writes this. I'm gonna read verses three, and I'm gonna stop at a kind of an awkward place at the end of 16, because he moves into prayers of supplication, which we're gonna look at next week. But in verse three of Ephesians one, he says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, 
according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you all in my prayers. It's a pretty unreal section of scripture when you think about it. Now, while Paul doesn't explicitly say in these first uh, kind of three to to 14, he doesn't explicitly say, I give thanks the way that we kind of read in the Psalms. It is the context to get to verse 15 when he says, for this reason, because of everything that I've said, because of the faith that you have in Jesus, I do not cease to give thanks for you. What's interesting is Paul has never met many of these saints in Ephesus. He doesn't know who they are, but yet when he hears that there's people that have confessed Christ as Lord as he prays for them. Do you pray for people that you've never met, that you don't know, that have become faithful believers in Jesus Christ, and do you thank God for them? That's a very challenging thing when I read that. How often do I do that? Sometimes we'll pray for the persecuted church and we don't know those individuals. But do I just pray for those in Banff that I don't know, those who are visiting that I've never met, that have declared Christ as their Lord and am I thankful for the influence that they get to have in the world that we find ourselves in? There's so much in here. In verse three, Paul begins with acknowledging that all, first of all, that all blessings are in Christ. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Now, this, this cannot be overstated here, but what this means is that you and I lack nothing for the purposes that God has called us. Isn't that great news? It's not up to you to go and read another self-help book on how to. God has equipped you for what he has, he has called you to do. He will intervene and he will lift you up and he will cause you to do things and say things that you're going to look back on and go, I didn't even know I knew how to do that. Or I didn't know if I would have the wisdom to say that. And the point is, you don't. <laughs> but God does. And he is equipping you for these things that you and I lack nothing for the mission that Christ has called us. Then Paul says that he has been chosen before the foundation of the world and that, he takes a lot of room up in that. And so this morning we're gonna come to conclusion on predestination. No, I'm just kidding. We're not gonna do that. Sorry, Phil. I'm sure you're excited for that. In our men's group, and, and actually the women have gone through this as well and the young adults have gone through this as well, is, uh, there's a study in the book of Romans and and what J.D. Greer, the teacher in that, talks about is that all through the Bible, and specifically in the book of Romans, there's, there's these two things at play. There's God's sovereignty that he knows all things, that he has chosen, that he has predestined, that he has elected. And then there's also our free will and our responsibility, our choice. 
And we in our modern times hate that because those things sound contradictory. And we try hard to kind of wrestle with and, and find a theological position where we can just sit there and go, ha, this is the way it is. And, and so some people, maybe you've heard the term Calvinism, some people will take that term and they'll take it probably too far to meaning things that it was never intended to. The point is simply this, and so I'm not going to um, appease anyone's view of predestination here, except that the Bible says it, so it's true. God has called, God has chosen, God has elected. But God has also given us free will and responsibility for the choices that we make. Those two tensions exist there, and the Bible never addresses, or it never tries to simplify it, I should say. It just says there's these two truths and they both exist in tension. For Paul, he's not worried about that. In fact, all he thinks is when he goes, I know that I'm, a sa- I know that I'm saved by Christ. I know that I'm a Christian. And because of that, I thank God that he has called me, that he has chosen me, that he has brought me in, that he has adopted me into this family. Again, the very beginning starting place of our salvation and of our maturity is recognizing that we don't deserve anything that we have been given. Salvation is not because I was smart enough to understand that I needed Jesus. Salvation was a gracious gift of God given to me because he chose me. And so if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, the good news is that you have been chosen. And I want you to consider that is that the God who has created all things reached down and chose you and said, I have purpose and I have mission for you far beyond your own life. But it's gonna matter in huge ways so that the kingdom of the the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of heaven would come here on the earth ultimately so that in heaven there are many, many people that are gonna be there partly because of the faithful witness of you and I. There's nothing greater that you could try and accomplish in your life here on the earth. No amount of riches, no amount of popularity, no amount of whatever it could be, none of it competes with the fact that one day you will get to be in eternity and you'll get to rub shoulders with somebody that God graciously used you in to bring them to be with himself. What an incredible truth. That's why Paul just kind of goes off here. He is thankful for being chosen, for being adopted into his family. Now, that adoption, again, right, that for our family, we, we kind of see that in such a beautiful light is it's God did not choose me because he went, wow, Greg's got a lot of skills. I could really use him. Not at all. God looked down and went, I love you. I've created you. I want you to be part of my family. And he chose me. Not only did he adopt me, but then he made, he made not only salvation known to me, but the maturity so that all things would come together. It says that we are predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Is that God is at work to mature me and to grow me and to bring me closer to him. But Paul doesn't stop there. Also, you have been given the Holy Spirit. If you have confessed Jesus as Christ, as Lord, as most important in your life, if you have submitted yourself under the Lordship of Christ, you have been given the Holy Spirit. And look what it says in verse 13. It is a seal. It is a deposit. In verse 14, as the guarantee of your inheritance. 
See, this is the beautiful, beautiful truth of Christianity. Is that you never have to worry once you have been chosen whether you're going to be unchosen because you have been marked with a seal. You will be with Christ in eternity if you have made Christ your Lord and Savior. Now again, we can wrestle through all the fine points of predestination all we want, and and I think it's good to wrestle there. But we're not going to come to some conclusion that nobody before us has come to that just makes the, the complexities of it simple. In fact, when John Piper retired from preaching ministry, uh, well, he wrote a lot of books during his preaching ministry, but he said he had one book on his mind that he wanted to write, but he just never had time to write. And I'm kind of thinking like, he wrote like 17 books a year, it felt like, so I don't know what he was talking about. But when he retired, he wrote this book called Providence in 2021, Dealing with God's Sovereignty. Anyone picked it up and read it? It's only 752 pages. All of a sudden, I realized, oh, he didn't have time. (laughs) And if you have the the perseverance to read it, it'll bless you like crazy. But he doesn't answer the question in some way where you can walk away and just go, oh, now I get it. But he makes the beauty of God's choosing you something that Paul sees and that we can respond in the same way. Because we have been chosen, because we have been adopted, because we have been called, because we have been... uh, sealed uh, with a deposit marking our inheritance because of all of this in verse 15, for that reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks to you. Again, do we pray and give thanks for those who have confessed Jesus as Lord? is if you're a parent and your child is walking with Christ today, then when you go to prayer, that should be one of the first things that you give thanks for. Because let me say it this way, and I mean this as gently and as kindly as I can, but you as a parent can do everything right, but your children still have a choice to make. The good news with that is on the flip side, you can screw up a lot, and yet God's grace and his mercy, he can still choose him and save him or her. So the good news for us there, those of us who are in that midst of parenting right now, it's all God's grace. So yes, be responsible and do what is right and what is good, but don't think for some, for any reason that you doing that will accomplish something for certain. And if you've screwed up a lot, and I think every parent here can probably say, we've done that a few times in our day. If we have screwed up more often than we've done it right, we can also entrust ourselves to a holy God who loves our children more than we do. One thing that I neglect often in my prayers that I should be praying all the time is what a privilege it is that my mom and my dad were unwilling that I did not know who Jesus Christ was. Again, I had a choice to make. But what a blessing it is that they instilled upon me the truths of Scripture. Do I thank them for that? You know, every Sunday morning, my mom texts me on the way to, the, to their church. and She knows what I'm preaching on. She follows along and she says, I'm praying for this. And she always gives me some specific stuff. And I always thank her, but do I... 
Do I send that same text message every day or once a week or regular, whatever it is, and say, thank you for instilling the gospel in me at a young age. There is so much that I don't give thanks for regularly because life is hectic and chaotic and I have a million things to accomplish. Well, maybe when Paul's sitting in prison, maybe in that moment he's able to actually see, I don't have a lot I have to accomplish now and all I can do is reflect on what God has done. Maybe we need to quiet ourselves. Maybe we need to go, this doesn't need to get done today. Maybe I need to take this day off and reconnect with God because, because I'm just being complacent. I'm not seeing the, be- the, the gifts and the grace that God has given me every day. See, when Paul's in prison, and he's writing these things, he's very well aware of his situation. But he's choosing to give thanks for the things that God has given him, the things that God has done, the things that God is continuing to do, because for him, eternity was far more important than how he was going to live in this next day. In 2 Corinthians 4.17, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago, he says this, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. He's in prison, he's getting beaten, he's, all these things are happening to him and he's not trying to make light of it and go, it's no big deal. He's trying to say, in comparison to what is ahead for me, this is very only momentary. And so friends, let me tell you this. I know some of you are going through some real difficult situations and there's some heartache and confusion and grief. But what I know scripture teaches us is this, is those things will end. And that if you are a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, that you will be in eternity with him. Where nothing that happened to you on this side of earth will even be worth comparing to what you get to be with in Jesus. Again, that doesn't make the pain go away. But when we have an attitude of gratitude, when we choose to give thanks in the midst of hurt, When we choose, you know, like not just a Thanksgiving when you sit down for lunch and you go, okay, let's list all the things we have to be thankful for. But in a regular practice of your prayer time, if you thank God for all the good he has given you, when you get to supplication and to asking God for the things that you need, you'll be reminded of all the things that you do already have. And our perspective will change. Now again, problems will still be there. But that's why we have community and that's why we have church. So that we can uplift one another, so that we can pray for one another, so that we can encourage one another. Again, I'm not trying to give you one simple little formula that if you pray like this, it'll all work out. What I'm simply saying is is as we read scripture to go, look, Paul's giving thanks in his prayers even though he's in prison. What do I need to learn from that? Again, it's not going to eliminate our difficult circumstance, but it will give us the proper perspective. As we close here, I want to read a couple of verses, and then as we've been doing through this series, just pray through those verses together. This is another one of Paul's prayers of thanksgiving. This is, I'm going to read it first. It's 1 Corinthians 1, 4-9, and it says this. I give thanks to my God always for you, because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. 
that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and in all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And I just want to spend a couple of minutes here praying corporately through this in our own context that we would internalize these things and that we would become a people of thanks. Let's pray. God, in the same way that Paul writes here is I give thanks for all the men and women that are here in this building right now, for those who are at home watching For those that have confessed Christ as Lord, God, thank you that you have chosen them. Thank you that they are part of your family, that they heard the gospel, and that they responded. God, for those who have yet to respond to the gospel, I pray that they would consider these things. That they would seek what is true and what is right and what is good. God, thank you that you have equipped each person here. That while you have given them gifts for service, for work, you have given them spiritual gifts so that our body, that this this local church, this Banff Park church, that we lack nothing. That there is no spiritual gift unaccounted that we need. What a blessing that is. And so, God, as we look forward in August to stewardship of spiritual gifts, would you show us what you are calling us to? Would you remind us that it is in your strength and in your gifting that we can accomplish these things, not in our own? Thank you that you have revealed the Lord Jesus Christ to us. Would you help us to see that more and more every day? Would we choose to give thanks? Would we remember the things that we have to be thankful for? Thank you that you sustain us to the end, that it is not in our own strength or our own power that we're going to persevere, but it is in submitting ourselves at the foot of the cross and letting the Holy Spirit lead. Thank you that in the final day when Jesus comes back that we will be held guiltless, not because of what we have been able to accomplish, but what Jesus did on our behalf that he was our atoning sacrifice for sins. God, thank you that you are faithful even when we are faithless. Thank you that your word is true. Thank you that you have called us into fellowship with Jesus Christ. And God, while we have challenges... May we not make those things bigger than they are. And may we focus also on the things that you have gifted us, the blessings that you have given us. Not just the material things, but salvation, church family, brothers and sisters that love and care for one another. God, as you are working, and as we'll see next week in supplication, As we will ask things of you, we pray that we would see the blessings first. 
that we would become a people, a thankful people. Would you remind us that the affliction that we're facing right now is momentary? And while it hurts, that hurt will end and we'll be able to be with you for all of eternity where we won't even compare what we went through here on earth. For these truths that we read in Scripture, thank you that they apply to us as well. God, as we leave this place today, may we look around and may we realize just how blessed we are for all that you are and all that you have given. We love you. Amen. Again, it's our pleasure to have you. Thank you for joining us. There, there's snacks through the curtain here on the side. There's no rush to get out of here. If you're visiting and you need information or if you're new to the church and you want to connect, please feel free to do that and we look forward to seeing you next week. Bye-bye.